The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with Back in the Red. Futures under pressure once again with stocks coming off their worst day in weeks. Investors, they are looking ahead to June's job report after yesterday's blowout ADP beat and what that could mean for Jay Powell and the Fed's next move. Then we're turning to China. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen making her first public comments since landing in Beijing, expressing her concerns over some of the country's recent actions. Plus, Amazon CEO Andy Jassy, he weighs in on everything from AI to the state of the global economy. And then later on in the show, the second half EV ramp up and what it means for Detroit's legacy big three. It is Friday, July the 7th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures pointing likely to a third straight day of losses with the Dow and the S&P coming off their worst sessions sessions since May. Taking a look at futures, you can see they are in the red across the board. However, off their lows of earlier this morning, right now the Nasdaq, the hardest hit down almost a quarter of a percent. We're also checking the bond market. We're seeing a lot of movement there. The bond market, we're seeing yields moving sharply higher on the heels of yesterday's ADP private payrolls report with the 10-year now back above 4% for the first time since May. You see just a bit over 4% right now, an even sharper move higher for the two-year note, hovering just below its highest yield in 16 years, just south of 5% this morning at 4982 something we continue to watch. We're also looking at the energy markets this morning. We're actually seeing a move higher for oil this morning. We're seeing WTI unchanged at the moment, but now just about at 72 bucks a barrel. Brent crude at 76 and a half, basically. Um, smaller than expected U.S. oil stocks, giving this a bit of a boost despite um, you know, some pressure on the oil market due to fears over rate rising, uh, rate hikes here in the U.S. So all this, as investors await today's June job report due out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time, that report likely to be a key metric for the data-driven Fed as traders continue to price in a rate hike later this month. And it's not just bond prices stalling out this week. The so-called Magnificent 7 trade, it's also underwater. With the basket of mega-cap AI-related names, we're talking NVIDIA and Alphabet, trading pretty much in line and in the red with the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ, following the big run-up in the first half of the year, despite concerns about high valuations and even a recession. Goldman Sachs out with a note this week on the sustainability of this rally, saying, quote, despite the recent gains, we estimate that potential AI-related productivity boosts could lead to significantly more upside for S&P 500 earnings and stock prices over the medium to longer term, although substantial uncertainty and risks remain. Now, despite those risks, our next guest says the strong guidance from these AI names, it justifies their lofty valuations. Joining me now, Joe Fahmy, Managing Director of Zork Capital. So, I'm going to jump right into it, Joe. It's great to have you here. You are a bull on these names. You also believe that these names are still growth at a reasonable price, despite some very high valuations. Amazon, for example, began this year at 43 times forward earnings. Now it's 72 times forward earnings. You got to explain this one. 
Yeah, no, thanks for having me on, Frank. Uh, the market has clearly been very resilient since it broke out of its uh, recent range in May. And I've been writing about this on my blog for the past couple of months. The reason for that strength is artificial intelligence. Throughout history, a lot of strong moves in the markets have been fueled by inventions and innovations uh, that have revolutionized our lives and disrupted the way we do things. The list is endless of examples of uh, railroads and um, airlines, television, PCs, the Internet, smartphones, etc. And my theory is that AI is that next innovation okay. that's going to change the way we do things, because what all of those innovations have in common is they help to increase productivity and AI will not only help increase productivity, as you alluded to in that Goldman Sachs note, but will change the way businesses uh, interact with customers. Okay, Joe, agree. Uh, will be the growth driver going, Ag for, going agree. forward. Consensus opinion right here on the transformational power of AI. But what are you saying that, you, that makes you believe that this rally can keep going and really justify these valuations to make this growth at a reasonable price or GARP? In 27 years of doing this, I've never seen guidance from, I think the two biggest beneficiaries will be NVIDIA and Microsoft. I've never seen guidance like this before. For example, 30 analysts cover NVIDIA. They expected the revenues last quarter to be $7.2 They got it to $11 billion. It's over 50% sequ sequential growth. Uh, Microsoft recently got it to $500 billion in revenues by 2030. And I actually get to go look. They're just doing over $200 billion. So I think the growth is being uh, vastly underestimated by the Wall Street analysts in the Wall Street community. Okay, so if they're underestimating, remember, this is guidance, and companies miss their guidance all the time. So let's say they don't reach this guidance. Does that put this AI trade, um, you know, in, a, in a, a tailspin? Does it does it pause it? What happens, for example, if next quarter we have a, you know, a lot of these companies reporting, Microsoft, Amazon, and Alphabet all reporting later this month. If they don't meet expectations, what happens to this trade then? Well, most companies and CEOs uh, like to guide conservatively, so I don't think they're going to guide this type of guidance and miss. But I want to stress, of course, if AI is in, in its infancy stages or in its early growth stages, there will be some hiccups and bumps along the okay. way. Uh, but I, I still think that the, the guidance is still conservative. All right, I want to bounce something off you. This is a, a soundbite from our colleague John Ford's great interview with CEO of uh, Amazon, Andy Jassy. Take a listen. And to date, there's really been one chip provider, which is, you know, the supply is more scarce and it's expensive. You're talking and about NVIDIA. It's why we've invested over the last few years in our own customized training chips that we call Tranium and inference chips that we call Inferentia, which will have much better price performance than you'll find anywhere else. We're on the second versions of those chips, and we're quite optimistic that a lot of the machine learning training and inference will be done on AWS chips. All right, so bullish on the AI transformation, but also uh, flagging some issues. It's going to take a lot more CapEx spending and also some supply chain issues with chips. How does that impact your thoughts on this trade? Uh, I think NVIDIA is way ahead of a lot of these companies, and it's not just – it takes time for these chips to develop and test. And I know Microsoft, Amazon, Google, they're working on some of their own AI chips. But it's not only the chips. It's NVIDIA's CUDA uh, software platform and there have been just so many sharp investors. I like to listen to people much smarter than me, not only sharp investors, but uh, sharp innovators and tech minds that have also been talking about uh, the potential growth here. So I think it's going to take time if those companies are going to catch up. All right, Joe Fahmy, thank you very much. Appreciate you being here. Thank All right, you. time now for checking some of this morning's top corporate stories. Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana, good morning.
Hey, Frank, good morning. Did you get on threads yet? I did. All right. Well, I haven't yet, but <laughs> I, I'm, I might get there. All right. Just 24 hours into its life, and Meta Platform's new app, Threads, is now the number one free downloaded app on the Apple and Google app stores with Mark Zuckerberg as of yesterday this morning boasting more than 30 million users thus far. But early success not coming without a potential fight as Twitter's lawyers accuse Meta of, quote, systematic and unlawful misappropriation of trade secrets, alleging Meta of poaching former Twitter staff to work on the project, claims Meta denies. And still, in what's been a rough week for stocks, Meta is still holding on to gains and trading near its highest level in 17 months. Right now, it's looking to open slightly lower in the pre-market. Now, turning to Canada and the ongoing port strikes on, on the West Coast, we are now seeing the first instance of what could be a widespread rerouting of ships to avoid the backlog. As of last night, two tankers originally bound up the port of Vancouver have changed course and are now heading to Seattle. Canadian labor officials remain in active talks with their U.S. counterparts on the impact of the slowdown on North American trade. And what could be another example of more market breadth? El Cateron, that's the private equity firm backed by LVMH, is considering strategic options, including a U.S. IPO for Birkenstock. That's according to Bloomberg. Now, the iconic sandal maker could fetch a value of more than $6 billion if it decides to go public. El Cateron is reportedly working with Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan on a possible listing, Frank. Interesting. I thought the Birkenstock era was kind of over. I thought people moved no on. Do you, do you own a pair? I own several pairs. Several pairs. Like several these pairs. fancy ones or just the regular ones everybody knows like about? Like all different styles. I love them. They're very comfortable. They're great for traveling. You can wear them all day. I, I'm a fan. I, gotta be, okay. I didn't even know there were different styles until oh, this yeah. story came Oh, out. my gosh. Right. you, you got to look them up. Look we'll them talk up. more about shoes later right. on the show. Silvana, thank you very <laughs> you much. It. All right, a lot more to come here on Worldwide Exchange, including the one word that investors have to know today. But first, Jenny Yellen sharing her concerns over China's recent trade war escalations as she prepares for more face-to-face meetings in Beijing. Plus, your second half playbook, and if Tesla can stay atop the EV price wars. And then later, trouble with the denim trade. The shares of Levi Strauss are set to open up sharply lower, but CEO Chip Berg is still confident in one area of the market. Find out where that is when Worldwide Exchange returns. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time for a check on the early action in Asia and the early trade over in Europe. Our Arabile Gumade is standing by in our London newsroom with more. Arabile, how are international markets responding to the U.S. jobs data that led to a sell-off here? 
Yeah, good morning, Frank. Look, to say that things had started off soft would have been an understatement, but that's shifted then from soft look to now being a mixed trading day thus far. If you take a look at the board, really, we are seeing uh, some jumps in some market out in France. The CAC 40 going up four-tenths of a percent thus far. A slight jump as well. The DAX around a quarter of a percent to the good there. Of course, having seen another IPO actually coming to the fore there. New listing, uh, the likes of Tayson, Karib, uh, Nasera actually being listed on that front. So you are seeing a bump up there. Half a percent higher than for the FTSE MIB. So positivity is filtering through, although news that uh, we are seeing a stronger jobs market out in the U.S. will filter through because that means increased interest rate likelihood, of course. The pass-through, though, from Asia has also been fairly mixed, and that's perhaps push the board uh, to where it is right now. You can see a whole lot of negativity across this one, with even the uh, Australian index going down one and seven-tenths of a percent there. Loses as well for the Shanghai Composite. Of course, it does follow on from Janet Yellen, who is still out in China and has been putting out word that she's a bit worried about that export data and trade all through uh, that region as well. So negativity passed through onto Europe has been uh, seen, but the market pretty much mixed out in Europe. Frank. All right, Arabelli, thank you. Arabelli Goumede, live in our London newsroom. All right, sticking with the overseas action, U.S. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen resumes her three-day China trip today, speaking with reporters for the first time since landing in Beijing with some tough talk for her Chinese counterparts. And this hour, sitting down with China's premier. Our Eunice Yoon joins me now. Eunice, good morning. What is the Treasury Secretary saying? What's the response so far? Well, uh, Frank, uh, the Treasury Secretary currently, as you said, is meeting with the country's premier. Um, He is the highest level uh, person that she will likely meet. And he's been the point person uh, by President Xi Jinping to try to woo foreign investment as well as to convince uh, governments in the West not to de-risk, that is, reducing ties with China. So this could very well uh, be the most important meeting that uh, she will have during this trip. Now, this uh, meeting with the premier uh, follows a whole day of uh, one-on-ones with other folks uh, within the uh, Chinese officialdom. One is the um, former vice premier, as well as the outgoing central bank governor, uh, both of whom are very well uh, known within the international financial circle, as well as to her. She met the American Chamber of Commerce as well, and um, some executives uh, who uh, attended the Chem event, and those executives were from uh, companies uh, like Boeing, Cargill, uh, Bank of America, Medtronics, SP. Um, uh, uh, AmCham's president told me that he and his members were very encouraged uh, by the fact that she was pressing uh, the U.S. case against a lot of the uh, Chinese business practices that have been uh, really plaguing this relationship for quite some time. Uh, Michael Hart uh, had said that this uh, not only included uh, the, um, uh, you know, kind of longstanding issues, but also the latest export curbs. This is what Janet Yellen said. I'm communicating the concerns that I've heard from the U.S. business community, <clears throat> including China's use of non-market tools like expanded subsidies for its state-owned enterprises and domestic firms, as well as barriers to market access for foreign firms. I've been particularly troubled by punitive actions that have been taken against U.S. firms in recent months. I'm also concerned about new export controls recently announced by China on two critical minerals used in technologies like semiconductors. 
Anna Frank, what's uh, actually a really interesting and unexpected development during her trip is just how the Chinese are portraying this trip. Uh, they've been reporting on the fact that when her plane landed, there was a rainbow. And it's really being played up in the state media as well as social media. And what's interesting about that is that um, that kind of messaging wouldn't be in social media if the Chinese government didn't allow it. So they're obviously trying to portray a more positive uh, tone uh, for the uh, direction of U.S.-China ties. Yeah, certainly a rainbow is generally a very good sign of something. Um, Eunice, I do want to come back to something <laughs> you hit on. You did a great job pointing out Janet Yellen's concerns and ones that she says are shared by the U.S. business community. I want to point to something that Amazon CEO Andy Jassy told our John Ford on Closing Bell Overtime yesterday. For the businesses in which we do a meaningful amount of, of business in China, we have access. Mm. What would be helpful is if the rules were more or less symmetric with respect to what um, U.S. companies are able to do in China with what Chinese companies could do in the U.S. So this has been a big issue for a few years, people pointing out this disparity. Do you think that Janet Yellen will make any headway on that issue during this trip? Difficult to know if she would make any headway, but it's definitely coming up already in the discussions that she had with the business community. In fact, the U.S. ambassador to China, Nicholas Burns, uh, when talking to the um, executives at that AmCham event, had said that we know that you want a level playing field, and that's something that we're going to fight for you for. So, you know, obviously on the mind of the, um, the government as well as the business community. Our, our Eunice Yoon live in Beijing. Eunice, get out of that wind. It's a windy day out there. Thank you for that great report. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Suddenly all came up. <laughs> all right. Ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, a closer look at the lasting impacts of the pandemic era's great migration in which remote work cities are cooling off while others remain red hot. Much more Worldwide Exchange back after this. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turning to housing and what was deemed the great pandemic migration. While the number of people moving locations had slowed down significantly since the height of COVID, it has left a lasting impact on certain housing markets across the U.S., our Diana Olick has been digging into these pandemic migration patterns and the impact on prices. Diana, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, moving patterns are holding, but home prices are weakening in some of the still hottest migration markets, in part because of higher mortgage rates, but also due to the demographic makeup of those moving in and out. And this is according to a new study from Bank of America. Take a look at the top five markets for population growth in the first two years of the pandemic. Tampa, Orlando, Austin, Phoenix, and Las Vegas. These markets all saw home price gains between 30 and 50 percent, according to CoreLogic. They're all seeing population growth still, albeit about a third as much now. But prices in these markets are now reacting differently. In 2022, even as mortgage rates doubled, home prices remain strong in Tampa and Orlando. But Austin, which still has positive population growth, saw prices fall. Vegas and Phoenix saw much smaller price gains. 
Why is that? Well, demographics and home building. Austin's inflow is largely younger Americans, many of whom are either renting or buying less expensive homes. Now, you compare that to Tampa and Orlando, where wealthier baby boomers are heading, boosting prices. And there was also heavier home building in Phoenix and Austin, leading to more supply, which, of course, tempers prices. Now, as for cities with the biggest pandemic outflows, that's New York, Boston, San Francisco, San Jose and Seattle. In the first two years of the pandemic, prices there gained despite the outflows, likely because of low supply. And last year, those markets still lost population. But prices held positive in New York and Boston, though they went negative in the other three. And that's because pre-pandemic, prices in the West had overheated so much that they had a lot farther to fall. And there's also far less supply in those Western cities. So kind of complicated, but interesting trends going on with prices, Frank. Yeah, definitely interesting trends. A lot of people making their housing decisions based on the, the pandemic and remote working. Um, I want to ask you a question about mortgage rates, though. We got, we got a hot read just yesterday. How's that impacting this story about post-COVID migration? Well, it was really cooling down prices last year from last summer when prices really started to fall last July to the peak of the um, mortgage rates in October. And now we're actually seeing prices heat up again. In fact, we've seen three straight months from January to March of month to month price gains. So in some of these markets that were expensive, you know, they're cooling off a little bit, but prices are starting to find a bottom. Now, as you said, we saw higher mortgage rates yesterday, 7.22% on the 30-year fix. That's the highest since November. Now, the CEO of Compass said on our air yesterday that that's the new normal and people are just used to that. But there is an affordability limit, of course, right? You can only buy what you can afford, and that goes into that monthly payment, which is much higher now than it was literally just a week ago. That's an excellent point. Our Diana Olick, thank you very much for that great report. Good to see you as always. All right, straight ahead here on Worldwide Exchange, an Alzheimer's breakthrough drug gets the FDA stamp of approval. Much more on this story after the break. Stay with us. It's about 5.30 a.m. in New York, and there's still a lot ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here is what's still on deck. The market slide set to roll on as Treasury yields hit fresh highs on the back of growing Fed and economic worries. Futures are pointing lower. Top of investors' minds today, the monthly jobs report coming after a much stronger than expected ADP report. We tee up whether another surprise labor report could be on tap today. And our second half playbook, the growing fight for EV dominance and the uphill battle for Detroit's big three. It is Friday, July the 7th, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I am Frank Holland. Thank you for starting your day with us. Let's pick up the half an hour with the check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look here, pretty much in the same place we started this morning, in the red across the board, however, off the lows of earlier this morning. We're also checking the bond market. Yields moving sharply higher on the heels of yesterday's ADP private payrolls report. Take a look at the 10-year the yield here back above 4% for the first time since May, an even sharper move higher for the two-year note, hovering just below its highest yield in about 16 years, just south of 5%. This morning we saw it tick just very slightly higher, basically 4.99 right now, something we continue to watch, that yield going back above 5%. We also want to talk energy, specifically oil. We begin with WTI, the U.S. benchmark. Back above 72 bucks a barrel, up a third of a percent right now, moving a bit higher this morning. Brent crude at 70, 76, 75, also up basically a third of a percent, also ticking a bit higher this morning. 
the biggest move in natural gas, up over 1%. Let's get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana. Hey, Frank. Well, Nikola remains short of the shareholder votes needed to sign off on issuing new stock. The electric truck maker revealing it has adjourned its annual meeting until next week to try and secure more support for the proposal, while the majority of shareholders voted in favor of the move. The total number of shares voted fell short of a legally required threshold in Delaware where Nikola is incorporated. The state could change that rule at the beginning of next month. Shares of Levi under pressure ahead of the open after cutting its annual profit forecast and expectations for net revenue growth. The apparel maker says it's dealing with high cost and strains on its wholesale operation. Despite the headwinds, Levi CEO Chip Berg telling Jim Cramer last night he's bullish on China helping lift the company up. And our China business is back. And in fact, ahead of expectations, um, we have taken our expectations for Asia up for the second half of the year, in part largely driven by the strength that we're seeing in China. Um, And that will help offset this weakness, partially offset this weakness that we're seeing in U.S. wholesale. And the FDA signing off on giving more Alzheimer's patients access to a drug to treat the disease. The agency granting full approval to Lakembi, allowing Medicare enrollees to get fully covered treatment with the drug if they qualify and agree to report data to a registry. Esai, which developed the drug with Biogen, said Lakembi could generate $7 billion in annual sales globally by 2030. Esai shares down in overseas trading, but up more than 24% in the past three months, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Appreciate that report. All right, turning now to the jobs market. T-minus three hours until the Labor Department releases the June jobs report. Economists expecting employers added around 240,000 net new jobs last month, compared with nearly 340,000 in May. But if yesterday is any indication, those estimates, they may be way off, following the June ADP private payrolls report showing nearly half a million net new hires and the largest single-month gain since February of 2022. The jobs number today remains one of the most important economic data points ahead of the Fed's next policy meeting just later this month. Two other reports to watch, Consumer Price Index and Producer Price Index, due out next week. Joining me now with her read on what's become a hot jobs market, Julia Pollack, Chief Economist at Zip Recruiter. Julia, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Good morning. How are you? All right. So I think the question everybody's trying to figure out today as we count down to the jobs report, how insightful to the monthly jobs report is that ADP report? I mean, just doubling estimates, really a blowout report. You know, zooming out, they do track each other, uh, not month to month very well. There's a lot of noise in the data, uh, but there are lots of reasons to expect another blowout report. Just, you know, zooming out, anyone who's gone on vacation lately, anyone who's gone to a restaurant or an airport knows that America is understaffed. Economic activity is pretty much back to the pre-pandemic trend, but employment in most industries still is not. And so we can expect higher than average hiring going forward. Okay, so I'm with you. I actually just took a flight somewhere, and you're right. I mean, everywhere you go, the restaurants are packed. Everything's packed. Um, A lot of the gains so far this year have really been in the hospitality sector and the leisure sector, which you're pointing out to. Those those places are hiring. Um, What other areas are we expecting to see possible job gains or maybe even job losses? So job growth has been historically broad-based, even in the most recent months, and despite 
these, you know, this huge increase in interest rates. Uh, we've even seen gains many months in industries that usually shed enormous numbers of losses when interest rates go up. Uh, you know, all eyes, I think, should be on the areas where we are seeing more weakness in goods related industries that are suffering from a return to normal pre pandemic behavior uh, in manufacturing and construction that are very interest rate sensitive uh, tech remains the biggest weak spot, you know, in the mm -hmm. uh, jolts report that we got earlier this week. That, that's an industry uh, where quits are now lower than they were before the pandemic, where layoffs are higher. Uh, and that's really an exception, though. The rest of the economy is doing quite well. So you mentioned the jolts report. We've been talking a lot about ADP, but the jolts report also came out. But in your mind, there were some mixed signals there. Give us a, a, an explanation of the signals that you believe are mixed. So yesterday was an, you know, an interesting day with, with mixed signals indeed. A 500,000 drop in job openings and half a million decline, but a half a million gain in the ADP report. And that is what uh, economic data has been like for the last sort of 18 months. Uh, it's been quite difficult to, to figure out if we're slowing down, uh, if we are approaching a soft landing, or if the slowdown is something larger and more concerning. And, um, you know, tomorrow we need more data more data, more data, more reports. Uh, all eyes will be on this jobs report today and also on the CPI uh, and, you know, and the other inflation reports next week. You know, Julia, you sound like the Fed. More data, more data, more data. So I want to ask <laughs> you, um, if we do see a hotter than expected jobs report, a lot of people think that's going to pretty much seal that we're going to see a rate hike later this month and maybe even another one later this year. If we see one more hike, maybe even two more, how does that impact the job market with that increased cost of capital? So, First of all, I don't think that that's necessarily the case. Inflation is coming down quite markedly now. Uh, the private sector measures of inflation actually suggest that we're much closer to that 2% target than the official uh, statistics suggest. And, you know, last uh, month's CPI report uh, was was uh, much higher than it should have been because of used cars and, and you know, things that we already see have, have reversed in, in private sector data. Right. Wait, so very quickly, what, what private sector data are you looking at that's showing inflation cooling more than what the Fed's looking at, which is CPI and uh, PCE? So there are real-time indexes that use uh, rent from Zillow and house prices uh, from from online marketplaces. Uh, there's um, you know there's there's a really nice uh, online uh, inflation index uh, that comes out. It's called okay. Real True True Inflation, and and that suggests that we're much much closer below three percent already. All right, very interesting stuff there, Julia Pollock. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate your insight on the jobs market. We're counting down to the jobs report coming up later today. Thank you. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, demand for electric vehicles looking to further shift into high gear. But can the auto industry's old guard keep pace with the new crop of automakers? And look at what the second half may hold when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your morning call sheet where we check on a few of this morning's biggest upgrades and downgrades by firms you know and stocks that you likely own. We begin with Morgan Stanley raising its price target on Ferrari, bumping it from 310 to $340 per share. Morgan Stanley citing a combination of earnings revisions and a bullish euro dollar picture. Taking a look at shares of Ferrari this morning, down almost 1%. Mizuho raising its price target on Tesla, hiking it from $230 to $300. It sees Tesla driving profitability at scale and says it is still conservative versus other industry disruptors such as NVIDIA. We'll have more on Tesla and its industry disruption in just a moment. Taking a look at shares of Tesla down more than half a percent this morning. 
And RBC Capital initiating coverage of Bloom Energy, giving it an outperform rating and a $24 price target. RBC saying Bloom is positioned for robust growth and improving profitability through the end of the decade as it plays a role throughout the energy transition, taking a look at shares up over 2%. And time now for your global briefing, a check on the headlines, dominating conversations on trading desks all around the world. We begin with Shell saying earnings from its natural gas trading unit will be significantly lower in the second quarter due to seasonal shifts in the market. That unit has been a key driver of Shell's record profits recently. The company adding that oil and gas production will also be down from the first quarter due to field maintenance. New data out of Japan showing base salaries grew at their fastest pace in nearly 30 years in May. Global markets have been closing, watching the country's wage data, with the Bank of Japan viewing it as a key gauge for its next policy steps. And shares of Alibaba here in the U.S. popping ahead of the open on a Reuters report that China is likely to announce a more than $1 billion fine against the Ant Group as soon as today. The reported move will bring an end to years of regulatory overhaul to Baba's fintech affiliate. All right, turning now to the fight for electric vehicle dominance and the battle between the old guard and the new generation of automakers, companies like Tesla and Rivian, stealing the spotlight from the likes of Ford and GM. Our Phil LeBeau is digging into what the second half roadmap looks like for the red hot sector and joins us now. Phil, good morning. And Frank, I want to take a look at the second half by basically looking at the first half. This is new data that was collected for us by Motor Intelligence, which basically gets the monthly sales reports from all the automakers. They crunched the data, and we said, look, what are, we, we don't want to hear about anything with internal combustion engines. We just want electric vehicle sales in the first half. How much is Tesla's market share eroding, or is it relatively strong? The answer is that it's still holding relatively strong. According to Motor Intelligence, Tesla has 60.4 market share of the EVs in the U.S. This is EV sales in the U.S. only. It was 64% uh, in the first quarter. So it is slipping a little bit, but still, they dominate this market. In fact, their gap between them and GM and Ford, it is widening right now. If you look at Tesla's sales in the first half, a couple of things stand out. First off, up 29.7% year over year. So they're having solid growth here in the United States. The Model 3 and the Model Y, as has been the case for the last couple of years, continues to dominate the business for Tesla. And it also dominates, those two models dominate the U.S. They account for 56% of the EV sold in the U.S. Think about that. More than half of the EVs really are those two models. So as you take a look at shares of Tesla, keep in mind that they do report their 2Q results on July 19th, after the bell. That's when we'll find out what's happening with their growth margins, the uh, auto gross margins, which were 19.5% in the first quarter. Most believe they're going to come in around there in the second quarter, though it could be slightly lower due to the price pressures, particularly in China, that we're seeing right now. Also want to take a look at Rivian. Rivian shares have been on a tear in the last month, in part because the company reiterated its guidance to build 50,000 vehicles this year. That's twice now, two quarters in a row, where they have reiterated their full-year guidance. The R1T is the best-selling electric pickup in the U.S. And I want to say that again, Frank. The R1T from Rivian is the best-selling electric pickup in the U.S. I hear a lot of people say, well, what about the Lightning? It's the best-selling pickup truck when it comes to electric models. No, it's not. It's the Rivian R1T by a wide margin in the first half. Now, that may change as Ford increases and ramps up production of the Lightning 
But the R1T is getting traction here. That's a very interesting development. The F-150 is such a popular vehicle. So, Phil, I also want to talk to you about two major price target bumps yesterday for some of those Detroit legacy players, courtesy of Morgan Stanley. Yeah, from Adam Jonas. But these are not EV-related as much as it's him saying, look, when you look at the legacy businesses here and you look at what's happening with the pricing power in the first half or in the the month of uh, the first, second quarter, I should say, for General Motors, the average transaction price was up $1,482. So they still have incredible pricing when it comes to their ICE models. And that's at the core of what Adam Jonas is saying. He's not changing his projections in terms of their electric vehicle growth, what may be coming in the next year, two years, as they ramp up production. Same with Ford. But what he is saying is this is a company, both companies, they're spewing out a lot of cash off of the legacy business, and that's one reason why he is bumping up the price targets on both of those companies. Our, our Phil LeBeau. By the way, Phil, pretty just almost shocking to hear uh, a truck besides a Silverado and an F-150 as the most popular option, electric or not. Like, what a shift when it comes to the auto market. No, no, what, yeah, that's the key, Frank. It's the right, electric. electric models. Yeah, in no, terms I, of over, yeah, in terms of overall, the F-150 is still the best-selling right. vehicle, internal combustion engine, by a wide margin. In the United States. The reason that we brought that up is, A, the R1T is getting traction. And two, I will hear from people, they'll say, well, the F-150 Lightning must be selling like hotcakes. Well, there's demand there, but there's also demand for other electric pickup models. And remember, we get the Cybertruck later this year. The Silverado E version, the electric Silverado version, will be coming out later this year. So you're going to start to see more competition in that segment. All right, that'll be interesting to watch. Our Phil LeBeau. Phil, thank you for that great report, as always. Right, let's talk more about EVs and the broader auto sectors road ahead in the second half of 2023. Philippe Houchois is the managing director of auto equity research at Jefferies. Philippe, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning. Thank you. All right. So we just had our Phil LeBeau kind of lay out the second half of the year. Mm-hmm. Give us your take on the second half of the year. I want to start with the legacy players um, for GM and Stellantis. Give us a sense of what you think, uh, how they're going to do in the second half of the year, and also your price targets for each one of those mm-hmm. names. Yeah. Yeah. So all three Detroit-based OEMs, I include Stellantis in there, have had a good first half of the year. I think we all started kind of worrying about auto demand in the beginning of 2023. Q1 was more than okay. And then Q2S continued the same trend. I think GM was talking about mix even improving, pricing being stable. And Stellantis had a few logistics production problems, but still what they're selling continues to be on very good terms. Um, So no weakening in Q2 compared to Q1 from what we can see. Of course, we have to continue to worry about the macro environment into the second half of the year. And also, of course, this UAW negotiation was always kind of a tense period for the auto industry. And I think a lot of observers are looking at you know, a relatively aggressive stance from the UAW and uh, trying to you know, figure out who they're going to try to hit more. And I think people have been zooming on Stellantis, given Stellantis higher profitability okay. and a bit of a fraught history with the UAW in the past. All right. So one of the big stories, obviously, is the EV transition, EV sales up in the first half of the year. But that growth has actually slowed from last year where higher gas prices were a catalyst. Um, Where do you see this EV transitioning going forward as we see rates rise and also the possibility of recession? Yeah. Now, EVs are more expensive to purchase. I think there are a lot of ways that car makers can actually accommodate to make them more attractive through leasing. Uh, We've seen around the world, actually, a softening of the penetration of EVs. That's true in China. It's been true in Europe as well. And uh, it's true in the U.S. And the bit of a surprise in the U.S. is that the IRA subsidies haven't strengthened demand a bit more than than, the than what we see. Okay. Uh, at the same time, there's not a huge amount of supply. That's why Tesla continues to dominate the market. 
So our Philippo just mentioned something I found to be surprising. Let me know your take on it. The Rivian R1T is the best-selling mm-hmm. electric pickup truck in the U.S. The 401 mm-hmm. F-150 is still the, the best-selling internal combustion engine pickup truck. Um, is that a sign of a, perhaps a shift when it comes to market dominance? Right now, Tesla is the best-selling EV maker, but as more mm-hmm. cars move to EVs, does that make a company like a Rivian and a Tesla, does that mean that they're going to become bigger players going forward as opposed to these legacy automakers? Yeah. Well, we've seen everywhere, and especially in China, that you know, this move to electrification effectively a leveler. You know, it puts everybody back to a starting line, and, and so that creates opportunities for newcomers to acquire a significant share. We saw it Tesla. I mean, let's put it in perspective. There are only two pickup trucks, electric pickup trucks to buy in the U.S. It's the Rivian and it's the F-150 Lightning. I'm excluding the uh, Hummer for a moment. And uh, so we haven't seen a huge amount of supply. And um, but clearly, you know, this opportunity to, to newcomers is quite sharp. And that's what electrification makes you know, makes the industry interesting as well. Uh, everybody seems to have a chance. All right. Certainly a lot to watch there. Philippe Houchois, thank you very much for your time and for your insight. Thank All right. You. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, the one word that every investor needs to know today. Stocks facing pressure ahead of the open as we await that big jobs report. We tee up a critical trading day and the moves to make with your money. Much more Worldwide Exchange back in just a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you need to know before the opening bell. We begin with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying this morning, the U.S. seeks healthy competition, not a winner-take-all approach, as she continues her meetings with leaders in China. Two tankers originally bound for the port of Vancouver have changed course. They're now heading to Seattle as labor strikes at Canada's West Coast ports continue. The move marking the first instance of what could be a widespread rerouting of ships. Meta Platform's threads topping downloads in Apple and Google's app stores. CEO Mark Zuckerberg boasting more than 30 million users so far. Just launched yesterday. El Cateron, the private equity firm backed by LVMH, is considering strategic options, including a U.S. IPO for Birkenstock, one that Bloomberg says could fetch a value of $6 billion. Reuters reporting Tesla is offering new buyers in China a $483 cash bonus if they could cite a referral from an existing owner. And Alibaba announcing it's rolling out an AI image generator. The offering will initially be available to enterprise customers. Taking a look at shares of Baba this morning, up more than 2.5%. All right, turning to the trading day ahead and the big monthly jobs report expected to be the key driver for the markets on the back of yesterday's data, showing the labor market remains very hot. That's raising concerns among investors. The Fed could keep up its rate hiking campaign for longer and in turn keep up the pressure on the economy. The uncertain economic outlook, top of mind for Amazon CEO Andy Jassy, while speaking with CNBC's John Ford exclusively yesterday. I don't think any of us believe we're out of the woods um, with the economy. As I said, I I think there's a lot of uncertainty, and I don't think anybody knows what the next several months are going to be like. And, you know, like everybody, we've got a plan. And, um, you know, uh, we had a plan the last few years, too, and, and things changed. Things certainly changed. A lot going on, pandemic and much more. For more on this and the trading day ahead, let's bring in Katrina Dudley, Senior Vice President, Investment Strategist, and Portfolio Manager at Franklin Mutual Advisors. Katrina, thank you so much for being here. Great. Thanks for having me. All right. So even the CEO of Amazon, huge company, he's looking at uncertainty. Uh, What do you think about the uncertainty that we have even today, the jobs report coming up after that ADP report that was very hot? It could be another blowout report, which a lot of people think seals the deal on another rate hike. 
Look, let's take a look at what we're looking at. It's actually this balancing act, and we haven't been in that position for so long. So what's on the positive side, which would make you say that the second half's going to be okay? Real wages are increasing. And if you have real wages that are increasing, it means that the, the risk of a recession is very, very low, probably non-existent. And you also have a really strong labor market. And that's why, as you said, today's data is going to be so important in terms of the labor market data. And you saw the jolts number yesterday the job openings continue to be strong. So we're really focusing on that, the strength of the economy. That's one side of the equation. The offset, as you say, is some manufacturing uncertainty, and people are focusing on that in the commercial real estate market, which has got the, uh, the associated weakness there. So it's a bit of a mixed picture, yes. in all fairness. So with that mixed picture in mind, what is your WEX word of the day? My WEX word of the day is anticipation because we are going to get information and that information is going to come in the form of earnings um, and what companies are going to be talking about for their second half outlook. All right. So still looking at this jobs report. Um, what do you think it's going to tell us about the economy overall? A lot of people are expecting big gains when it comes to leisure and hospitality. What other areas are you expecting to see gains or maybe even a lot of openings that can influence the second half of the year? I think where we're seeing openings and where we're seeing a lot of, of, of unfilled positions is in manufacturing. And that's been driven by a couple of things. The first is our drive to reshore and onshore manufacturing. And we need workers. And we really haven't had that underlying demand for those type of workers for many, many years. Um, and what is that doing? It's meaning that CEOs, and I spoke to a ton of industrial CEOs, they're holding on to their labor really, really tightly. And so even if there's a little bit of manufacturing weakness that we talked about, the labor is still employed. And that's really good for the economy. So what we're seeing is these, these CEOs are balancing the fact that I, I've got some labor, but I don't have enough, and they may need some, some automation. So kind of a labor shortage. So with that in mind, I know you have some stock picks for us. How can you play the idea that there's a, still a persistent labor shortage? And that's exactly what we talk about with that word automation. Um, we are looking to automate various things. And the two plays there that we're talking about is Rockwell Automation, which is the leader here. It's based out of the United States. And they help factories automate their workflow. Um, you're also looking at their competitor in Germany, which is Siemens. They have a global presence as well. And they're another company. And what this is is really the quintessential replacement of capital for labor. And okay. we've seen that happen over the years. So you're talking about a long-term trend. Very quickly, would you put money in these names today? Is this where you would invest today, especially on the back of this jobs report? Look, we own Siemens. We think that it's not only this really strong rock, um, automation trend that's supporting it. There are some other company-specific catalysts that make it a really interesting stock for investors. And it's okay. one of those great companies you can buy here, too. Katrina Dudley, great to have you here. Thank you for your time and for your insight. We really appreciate it. Great, thank you. All right, that's going to do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. We've got Squawk Box coming up next. Thank you for watching. Enjoy your weekend. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.